Oh, good morning, church. Good, morning. Uh, good to see you all. If I haven't met you before, uh, I'm Pastor Manny, one of the associate pastors here at West Ridge, and uh, I'm delighted and honored uh, to finish the staff series on In But Not of the World. Uh, as believers, we are called to live in this world to fulfill the plans and purpose of God for our lives, using the Word of God as our co-operating system, and not to live by the value system of this world, because if we do, we will miss out on the plans and the purpose of God for our lives. Uh, Talk about missing out on something because we ignore the principles or procedures that was laid out to follow. I was a witness to a situation that happened last week on PA Turnpike. Uh, 76 East, to be precise, on exit 57. I was behind this driver waiting to pay the tow ticket, and I can see the checkout screen from where I was, and the total amount for the driver ahead of me to pay was $50.40. Gee, I'm saying at this exit, that's a lot of money, $50.40. So at this time, there was some conversation and exchange of paperwork going between, you know, the toll attendant and the driver ahead of me and some signatory going on. So it took a while before he gets to me. As I approached the toll attendant, I said, hello, if you don't mind, can I please ask why the driver ahead of me pay $50.40 at this exit? He said because, listen to this, the driver failed to pick up the tow ticket at the point of entry. And when that happens, you have to pay the maximum tow fare on that PA turnpike. And I said, oh, thank God. You know, because (laughs) when I was going, I only have, you know, the change because I said, okay, let me get some money from ATM, took $20, you know, for the exit. So... All I had to pay for the same size of vehicle at that exit was only $3.60. Because I did not ignore picking up the tow ticket at the point of entry. Now, if you compare the difference between $50.40 and $3.60, That's about $46.80 the driver could have saved just by stopping at a tow ticket that will only take less than a minute to pick up. I know this is a very simple illustration when you think about our eternity. But the point is, as believers, we cannot afford to ignore using the word of God as our core operating system. Why we live in this world, not of this world. Because if we do, we ignore that, we're going to miss out on the plans and purpose of God for our life. We're in this world, but not of this world, because we belong to the kingdom of God that is to come. As it was revealed to John 
by God in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. From the old order of things has passed away. That is our kingdom to come. Now, the three, three previous speakers wonderfully taught us on week one. Taught our China ministry, share the heart of Jesus' prayer for all believers. And he strongly encouraged us to engulf ourselves in the Bible so we can know the heart of God. On week two, Chris taught us that our identity in Christ is what defines who we are and encouraged us to cultivate a lifestyle that honors Jesus Christ and that we get to share the Christ hope of glory with people around us. Week three, which was last Sunday, Pastor Eric encouraged us on how we can experience the joy of the Lord, even when the atmosphere doesn't feel like it. That our joy is not depending on the happenings or circumstances around us, but on who we are in Christ. Because Christ is the source of our true joy, and his joy carries us through the valley of whatever we might be going through. So this morning, I'll be focused on Jesus' prayer for unity among all believers. You see, all true believers has God's glory within. Because we all belong, because no matter what they look like on the outside, Christian unity is not based on the external, but the internal, the very spirit of God within us. You see, Christians may belong to different churches, contemporary and traditional, denominational and non-denominational. But we all belong to the Lord and to one another. We are called to love one another, which is the perfect bond of unity. And I want you to think about the importance of unity in our individual lives. Uh, You probably have heard this phrase before sometimes in your life, that united we stand. Divided, we fall. This is a phrase used in many different kinds of situations or expressions, mostly to inspire unity and collaboration. So with that understanding, how important is unity in the church? And when I say in the church, I'm referring to the universal church that represents all born-again believers called out from all walks of life in every culture and country around the world. So all believers in the Asian continent, in the Australian continent, in the American, North and South American continent, in the African continent, all believers. So true believers are joined together as one people who share one spirit 
and worship one Lord, Jesus Christ. Where there is one universal church, though, it is represented by many unique churches scattered around the world. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the, church of, to, the, to the church of God in Corinth, to those who sanctify, sanctified means set apart, called in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and our Lord. Here the Bible says that all those everywhere sanctifies in Christ Jesus and call on the name of Jesus as Lord belongs to the church of God. When we are unified in Jesus Christ, we experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit enabling us to do the God of work on earth. So in Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he emphasizes Christian unity and I want us to look at that. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 13 through 22. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups. And when we're talking about two groups here, we're talking about the Jewish nation and we, the Gentiles. All two groups, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall. By setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two groups. Thus making peace. In one, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him... We both have access to the Father by one spirit. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, just like one of our worship songs is our chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Because the Bible says you and I are the temple of God, our body, the soul of God. He breathed his soul into our body. We become his living temple. It's no longer a physical building. Verse 22, and in him, you two have been built together to become a dwelling in which, listen to this, God lives by his spirit. Your body, my body, as a true believer, you have the spirit of God in you, dwelling, walking with you. So the unity of Christians is described in five different ways in this chapter. One, that Christians are members of one new race, one new humanity. That's in verse 15. Two, Christians are parts of one body. One body, the church of God, the universal church. That's in verse 16. Christians are three. Christians are citizens of one nation. He says fellow citizens with God's people. That's in verse 19. And four, Christians are children of one family. He says members of his household. That's in verse 19 also. 
And five, Christians are stones of one temple, holy temple, which is the church of God. Verses 20 through 22. In fact, I'd like to read that again. He said, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. All true believers come together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you and I have been built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, therefore, we can see clearly that the basis of Christian unity is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Christian unity we're talking about is based on the person and what Christ has done for us. So Christian unity is not based on how we look on the outside, but how we internalize the very spirit of God within us. That's why the Bible says in Colossians 1.27, that Christ in you, in me, the hope of glory. So as I was preparing for today, I came across a scripture passage where Apostle Paul tied his complete joy to the attainment of Christian unity. Listen to it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and listen to this, verse 2 says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. And I think this is powerful because that reveals to us how much he values Christian unity. And in that spirit, same Apostle Paul once again encourages us to be united in Christ. And he describes some ways to do so. I love that about him because he didn't just say be united and go figure it out. No, he gave us some practical ways. So let's take a look at those ways in Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 17. Verses 12 through 17. 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, listen to this, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, like Pastor Eric said last week, gentleness and patience. 13 says, This is powerful. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, and this is the key to it all, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The word again, perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, all true believers, we were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among us, all true believers in Asian continent, African, Australian, American continent, North and South, wherever all true believers are. Let the message of Christ dwell among us. And as you teach 
and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, and singing to God with gratitude in your heart, just like we just did now. And 17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. How practical can that be? Now, notice the following phrases from this passage. I like to talk a little bit about them. One says, clothe yourself. That's verse 12. Clothe yourself. And he gave us those qualities. Meaning that we are now born with those qualities and characters. It's not natural to us. We have to be intentional about being compassionate. About being kind. We have to be intentional about being humble. We have to decide to do that. We have to be intentional about being gentle, about being patient. Listen to this. In every daily living of our life, in every day, every day, Pastor Paul is saying that you are in your house before you get out or even in your house, you put on clothes. There's no way I'm going to be in the house without clothes. And even if I'm going out, I'm doing what? I put on clothes. So he's saying to you and me, just like we put on our clothes in the house, going outside of the house, we should put on those godly characters. We should put on compassion. The cloth of compassion, put it on before you get out. The clothes of kindness. That's being intentional now. The clothes of humility. Gentleness. You have to put them on. So which means you have to be proactive about it. Because when you get to the heat of the moment, when you need patience, if you don't have it on, our tongue is so fast to speak. Before you know, you lose your cool, right? But if you already have it on you, it's easy to apply. It's easy to tap into because you have decided to put it on before you leave the house, just like you put on your clothes. So it's my job, it's your job to make sure that we clothe ourselves with those qualities. And that is the practicality of what Apostle Paul is saying. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Two, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's verse 13. Why? Because Christ as the model of forgiveness has forgiven all of our sins totally. So Christ is asking us to do the same. That we believers must be willing to forgive. And I know this is not always easy. But Christ in us can make it happen if we let him. And what we don't want to do is to be the backseat driver when Jesus is taking us down the road of forgiveness. With our natural thinking and justification. Well, if you only knew what he or she did. 
Well, he or she should have known better. Remember, it's not about what he or she does. It's about who you are in Christ and what Christ is telling you to do. That should be what we use to be able to do that. Because it's not about your will. It's not about your want. It's about his will. So if Christ is taking you down to a road of forgiveness and you're trying to bring your natural thinking and justification, you have to let it go. Not your will, but who? His will. You see, when I found myself in a thinking mode like that, I always try to remember the word of Jesus Christ on the cross. When he said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. So when I assume that he or she doesn't know any better, right away, I sense the peace of God in me. Because Christ is already in me. All I have to do is to let him come out of me. It's not so he can come out. I will sense the peace of God in me. And it doesn't bother me anymore. Three, put on love. That's verse 14. We have to accept the operation of God's love in our lives. Because again, we're not born with it. We have to put it on. We have to allow it. We purposely have to see people through the lens of God's love. Even when it's very difficult to do so. By showing the same kind of sacrificial love that Christ shown to us. Four, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We have to let go and allow the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, be the source of our peace and the fountain of life from the inside out by focusing on the eternal peace that only He can offer and operate by it. When I say operate by it, and I say we should use the word of God as our core operating system. In the computer lingo, operating system is a software that manages all the functionality of hardware. It controls what the hardware do. So if my body is the hardware, the word of God, the Bible, is the core operating systems that controls what my body, what my thinking should do. Operate by it. Allow the word of God to run and manages your life. And when we do, we get to see the love of God coming out of us, even when it's difficult to do so. Because it's no longer you. It's God operating through you. The word of God operating through you. Always look beyond the moment and focus on what matters most. Your eternity. My eternity. So we don't focus on the moment. We focus on it's all about Christ. It's all about eternity. It's all about heavenly home. Five, let the message of Christ dwell among you. That's verse 16. We have to allow the transformation that the word of God brings into our life in such a way that every aspect of our life, listen to this, is guided and directed by godly biblical principles without any compromise. Engulfing ourselves in the word of God, we transform us daily. Listen to this. Daily 
It's not weekly. It's daily. It will transform us daily into his likeness. And we will be able to live in such a way that pleases him. Because the spirit of God is already in us. And as we feed our spiritual soul with the Holy Scripture, it becomes easier to operate our lives by it. And then be able to manifest those godly characters. Since we are created in his image. As stated in Genesis chapter 1, 26. Genesis chapter 1, 26. Let's look at that. That's how we know that. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the white animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And six, whatever you do, that's the going through Colossians 12 through 17. Whatever, six, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. That's verse 17. I like this because it means there is no exceptions for us true believers. You and I cannot selectively do what the Bible says because it's convenient. We have to do what the word says, even what? When it's not convenient. Whatever you do, or there's no a second that say, well, you're exempted from using biblical principle at 7.06 seconds. There's nothing like that. Every second counts. And those are the practical things. So as I'm breathing, I, gotta, I have to, whatever, I have to be able to do that. So, in all situations, ask yourself these questions. Just one question. What would Jesus want me to say, to think, and do? In this argument right now, what would Jesus want me to say? As I'm looking at you, what would Jesus want me to think? I'm about to make a decision, business deal. What would Jesus want me to do? All situations, if we can only do that, we all prayed by. There's no exemptions. I'm saying that because at the end of it all, when it's all said and done, we can bring honor to his name. So it doesn't matter what I'm doing. The question would be, would I honor Christ? Because whatever you and I do must be consistent to who Jesus is. Why? Because he's our model. Christian is coined from the word Christ. He's our model. We are called Christian. We have the name of that because we are rooted. It's the root word. Christ is the root word of Christians. So whatever I do must be consistent with who Christ is. Because he's my model is your model. And you see, nothing can bring people together, together except the gospel. That's why Jesus commanded his disciple and said, go into all nations and share the gospel. And God must change our natures if true unity is to exist between us. Because naturally, if we have to be truthful, we are filled with biases. We are filled with prejudice. 
No wonder Jesus had to specifically pray for unity among his disciples, then and for all believers to come, including you and me. Jesus was looking beyond the moment and into eternity, and he was compelled by his compassion and eternal love for all believers that he has to stop and say, I'm going to make a special request for unity among all believers in all nations. So now let's listen to this part of the prayer from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 24. And I'm using the amplified version because it's so clear that you don't even have to think through it. Jesus says, I do not pray for this alone. It is not for their sake only that I make this request, but also for all those who will ever believe and trust in me through their message, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, I in me, you in me, and I in you. That they may also be one in us, so that the world may believe without any doubt that you sent me. And I have given to them the glory and honor which you have given me. That they may be one, just as we are one. Verse 23, I in them, you in me. That they may be perfected and completed into one. So that the world may know without any doubt that you sent me. And that you have loved them, just as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me as your gift to me, may be with me where I am. So that they may see my glory, which you have given me. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, notice how many times the word one was used in this prayer. It was five times to emphasize that oneness is the key to unity among believers. Let's look at some expectations about unity in this passage. One. Oneness include all believers. Jesus doesn't want us to just get along with a few people we happen to like. Or only with those in this church. Because he say, but that they may all be one. His prayer is much more deeper than us here. In verse 23, Jesus longs for us to become Perfectly one. You see, true believers in Christ share a common unity or community with the believers in the past, with the believers in the present, and the believers to come, our children, children to come. We all have common unity because remember, earlier we said Christian unity is based on the person and work of Christ. And we know that Jesus, our Lord, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Two, oneness is linked to the unity within the Trinity. In verse 11, Jesus prayed that his disciples will experience the oneness that exists in relationship with the Father. In verse 21, he prayed, may they also be in us. In verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. You see, the unity Christ wants for us to have is so intimate, so personal, 
so vital that is patterned after and based on the relationship that exists in the Godhead. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three, oneness is to accelerate evangelism. Look at verse 21. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. Of course, that's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world, the world that we're talking about, of the world, that he gave his only begotten son. You see, the most attractive witnessing to unbelievers is unity within the church. Four, oneness puts God's reputation on display to the world to see. Look at verse 22. It says, we have been given the glory that was given to Christ. And the word glory represents the visible manifestations of all God characters. All God's attributes. When we are united, the world will stand up and take notice of God. Because they will see him glorified in you and me. No wonder Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says this. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Well, I know what some of you might be thinking right now. That it's not easy to do and maintain Christian unity. However, I believe you will agree with me that though it might not be easy, but it's certainly doable with the right motive and attitude. Knowing that the power of Christ in you is always there whenever and wherever you need it. All you got to do is tap into it. Because remember the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the very Spirit of God is in you and me. So whenever you feel like, I cannot be patient, no, 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 no. Tap into it. Tap into what God is saying. Because remember, as we use the core, the core operating system, which is the word of God in us, it operates inside of us. And if I have to go back to my computer lingo analogy, every time you have a software, usually we have a virus, right? Virus come into attack the way they system is supposed to operate without issues. So now, because I already have the word of God in me as my co-operating system, it's my antivirus. So when the virus come, I already have the word of God in me. My antivirus, my antidote is built in. It's there. So wherever, oh, this bad thought is coming. No, I've got the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Well, I don't feel like being patient. No, no, no. I've got Christ in me. I have the antivirus there. So I have to allow the core of my operating system, the word of God, to operate through me. Because it's already in me. Because we have the power to suppress it. That's our free will. 
But as we allow the word of God to operate through us, all those viruses, the bad thinking, coming, you already have it in you. And here's one thing that I want you to do. One of the things the software would do is that they create an operating system, they always update the operating system against the unknown threat that might come. So they release update. Same thing for you and I. We have to make sure that we update our core operating system every day with the Word of God. Because if you fail to operate, to update your core operating system, you might be vulnerable. Because you know the Word on Sunday, Monday come, I forgot about it. Tuesday come, I forgot about it. But because I'm updating what I already know about God every day in me. My antivirus database is growing stronger and stronger. The vault is getting bigger and bigger every day. And there is no virus that will come that I will not be able to withstand because Christ is my strength when I'm weak. Even when I don't feel like praying, Jesus is already up there praying for me. He's praying for you. Because it's, your Lord is in you. All we got to do is make sure we align with him. And when we do, he takes you off the rest. Okay. So with that being said, I like to take a look at some things because, in fact, sometimes, you know, I, was, I put this on my note, you know. When I find myself in a mode that things are going on that I don't like and my natural thinking comes into play, and usually your thinking, your thought, will lead to some actions, right? So when I found myself in the natural thinking and the expected actions are not in line with the scripture, the truth and principle of the scripture that I know, I just let go and let God. So when you feel like you can't handle it, just let go and let God. When you feel like, I'm not able to do this, you let go and let God. Because when I do, I feel his peace, I feel his strength to move on, to forge on. So in this light, here are some ways we can be intentional about Christian unity. One, refuse to focus on divisions or doctrinal differences. Because while on this earth, Jesus, our model, did not focus on division or doctrinal differences of his time and culture. You know what Jesus was doing. Jesus was busy serving others, sharing truth, loving and leading others, and sharing the glory of God with them, changing the world around them. So the truth about God alone must determine our alignments and partnership, and we can be wonderfully unified on the true essentials of our faith. Our mode of operation must be embracing self-sacrifice that promotes common unity or community in this world so that the lost people of this world can see its love, its grace, and truth through our speeches and actions. Two, Adhere to unity, but not uniformity. 
Unity is no uniformity of opinion, of culture, even of musical taste, even of gifts. It is possible to be diverse, yet not divided. Because we're all distinct pieces of the puzzle. And variety is valuable because we all have different gifts, abilities, personalities, thoughts, and opinions. Remember, we're not called to be the same. We're called to be one. That means that we can disagree. I mean, we can, agree, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Because it's not simply what we believe. It's how we behave. Even in our disagreement, we can operate in love to bring understanding and clarity. Why focusing on the most important person that matters? Jesus Christ. So unity is created by living the world to be in agreement with God and Christ and to accept non-essential differences in the bond of faith. Like a beautiful garden, the Christian church is meant to have different colors and seasons and it's meant to be a peaceful garden. Diverse, but unified in God and Christ. Three, be single-minded focus on Jesus. A person with single-minded focus on Jesus will live each day yielding to God's will and direction. And Jesus reminds us of, reminds us of how to do that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had a single-minded focus as he places his Father's will above his will. So that God's plan and purpose for humanity can be fulfilled. So as we let go and let God, God's will will happen. Not our will, but His will. So decide to live by the truth and godly biblical principles that you already know to be true. And not by the standard of this world. Because they are pleasing to your senses. One of the things that most impresses the world is the way Christians love each other. And live together in harmony. I believe we must rely on our Heavenly Father to keep us unified and focus on what is most important in life a relationship with Jesus Christ and bringing others into a relationship with Him through our words and actions. The key is total reliance on the Spirit of God, not on our human nature, because we cannot do this apart from the life-giving Spirit of Jesus Christ fueling our journey on this earth. When we are unified in Christ Jesus, we are empowered through the Spirit of God to display the personality, the purposes, and the power of God to those around us. On this note, I just want to say that I'm so proud of Westray Christian community because of our standing Christian community. Because I know we are deeply involved in how we are praying for one another. Agreeing in prayer with one another. Praying for other churches. Praying for our communities. Praying for our ministries, our missionaries. And how we equally support all of it with our time, talent, and treasure. Through our missionary support, community projects, reach pantry, back-to-school backpass giveaway, and Thanksgiving at Virginia Hill, just to mention a few. Also, I'm very thankful for the senior pastor, Pastor John, and the elders 
for leading and directing us, as well as equipping us to be the body of Christ that love God with passion for his people, no matter where they are in life. So as I close, I encourage us all to continue to be the message of God in our everyday living, every second, every minute. So as we shine the light of Jesus Christ in our community, that the world that we live in may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. In that spirit, just like Jesus prayed for us, I'd like to ask you a favor this week to give me extra 12 minutes by taking two minutes each day for the next six days. These two minutes will be set aside to pray for someone specifically that you know. They're in need of one thing or the other. Someone who is going through some difficult, difficulty, situation, or challenges. Someone who needs our help, maybe our encouragement. Someone that God puts on your heart. Just two minutes for the next six days. God will put that name on your heart, that person on your heart. Take just two minutes for the next six days. Can you do that? Can you do that? Thank you and thank you. Where there's something that we pray in my household every day from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It's more like a declarative statement. Knowing that Christ in us will prompt us to act accordingly when the opportunity comes. Because the opportunity will come for you to be the child of God. It goes like this. I promise to be an ambassador for Christ. In everything that I do today, every day, we have to say that. In everything that I do today, beginning from my home. And this helps us to be proactive in our daily living for Jesus Christ. Because it's a matter of trusting that God will take actions in our life as we live for Him. He will never let you down. Like the song. He's never going to let you down. God is not setting us up to fail. But to do well. To glorify Him. Can we please stand up and pray? Dear Jesus, we thank you, first of all, for everything that you've done for us and that you continue to do for us in the right hand of our Heavenly Father by constantly interceding for us so we can understand that the glory that awaits us in heaven and be able to look beyond the moment and be able to have an eternal perspective just like you father but i pray that you will open our spiritual eyes to see the things that you want us to see and open our minds and hearts to understand and experience the fullness of your love the fullness of your joy the fullness of your peace as we live in this world but not of this world. In Jesus' precious name I pray. And the church said, Amen. Let's continue in the atmosphere of worship.